Hello, and welcome to this latest episode in Media's post-pandemic programming podcast series. And yes, there are way too many Ps in that sentence. This is a series where media analysts discuss the impact of the global pandemic and the global recession on the entertainment industries. My name is Mark Mulligan, and today I'm joined by Media's games analyst, Carol Severin. Say hello, Carol. Hi, everyone. And our sports analyst, Alistair Taylor. Say hello, Alistair. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here. So thanks for both being here, guys. So we the reason they're here is because we're going to discuss the very different but also highly interconnected ways in which the pandemic has impacted games and sports. You know, this is a tale of two cities, but there are also many things which uh, of the experiences and the paths in which these industries are going, which are similar. So with no further ado, I'm going to do very little talking to this podcast and leave it to the two experts you've got here. Let's start off, before we dive into how the pandemic has transformed both games and sports, let's first take a look at why we're even discussing sports and games in the same podcast episode. Esports is the obvious catalyst, but is there more to it than that? How and why are the paths of sports and games becoming so intertwined? Carol, do you want to have a stab at that one? Yeah, absolutely. So gaming and esports are both ultimately about entertainment as such. The competitive aspect is is just one part of the appeal for watching sports, as is esports to gaming. Uh, and, you know, both gaming and sports are essentially part of the wider culture. And therefore, both are likely to be a part of consumer lives, be it actively or passively. So even though not everybody is a gamer today, almost everybody at this point knows somebody who is a gamer. And just like with other culturally uh, significant entertainment propositions, there is a meaningful overlap between audiences of sports and games. And in many aspects, sports and games are actually closer to each other than other entertainment verticals, uh, with things like uh, you know, being actually complementary in nature. Unlike video and games, for example, which are a lot more competitive with each other, you know, games are, for example, a natural extension of engaging with sports culturally. And sports are also a natural extension of engaging with games culturally, uh, which we are seeing with the rise of esports. And so while gaming has been on this upward trajectory in recent years, sports has been uh, uh, sort of tackling uh, its own challenges that we're probably going to hear Alistair speak a lot more about Uh but we are we're seeing some organizations in sports making strides, but it's certainly not sort of all upwards yet at the moment. So the the business kind of has been built on traditional media and TV models, which are dealing with disruption of streaming and ecosystems. And sports, like other entertainment formats, need to embrace gaming uh, and its virtual environments as a potential door to interacting with audiences in the future. I couldn't agree more, Carol. Um... Traditionally, diehard sports fans have dismissed the notion that esports or gaming deserves the consideration for being a proper sporting discipline. Um, but that argument is redundant now, I'd say, especially given the sort of expediting of the the need for digital engagement during during COVID and lockdown. Um, and it doesn't take a genius to see the talent needed to be an esports athlete, which is undeniable. Um, the re- the reaction time, hand eye coordination and the burgeoning fan base of esports itself. Um, and the fact that gamers can beat an F1 driver in a simulator around a Grand Prix circuit uh, tells you everything you need to know. These guys can compete uh, and they deserve um, sort of the, their share of the limelight. Um, and obviously we're here to talk about the pandemic and the sort of post-recovery um, economics, but gaming was one of the few winners from the pandemic. 
and it and it served an olive branch to to a lot of traditional sporting rights holders when all of sports was paused. Alice, let me pick up on on something there. So you've discussed this way in which a lot of uh, traditional sports did embrace esports in uh, and games uh, in one way or another during the pandemic. Do you think they'd been quite so enthusiastic if they didn't have to be? You know, they didn't have an alternative route open to them. In terms of the fact that live sports was paused and the schedule was then hard to fill. Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, I guess what I'm getting to here is are the sports leagues and various different, you know, sports entities, franchises being so interested in uh, games during lockdown simply because they didn't have another way of engaging with their audience. And once everything's back to normal, they'll try to put as much distance as possible between themselves again. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's a good question. Um, we All we had to look at was subscriber numbers for, for sports streaming services. Um, all they had in their proposition was um, archive footage and docuseries to retain that engagement and to prevent churn uh, from subscribers. So obviously trying to derive any sort of digital engagement uh, while sports was obviously frozen and on the shelf during the pandemic uh, was a no-brainer. And I, and I don't think we saw enough rights holders truly appreciate the necessity to create these virtual competitions to cr- create engagement. But then they, you look at the ones that did, uh, such as FIFA um, with their, and the Premier League with their stay and play cup, uh, using real athletes was an immediate way of not only like capitalizing on the social engagement that these guys uh, have, but also just retaining um, some fandom. The fact that there are people playing in a Liverpool shirt and Manchester, uh, competing against Manchester United, keeping that sort of fandom and competition alive while obviously the actual uh, match days were, were, not, were not occurring was, was crucial. Yeah. Uh, Carol, yeah, do you think... Just a bit, Go ahead, Carol. I, I was just going to build up on that a, a little more. completely agree with that point and as well with, with your question, Mark, in a, in, a, in a sense that I think gaming has always been uh, on the minds of, of sports organizations, but it was always... One of those things that was, you know, nice to engage with rather than like a business critical thing on their minds. And now during the COVID disruption, obviously, a lot of that, uh, you know, not just revenue, but also strategic aspirations and ambitions have have been so disrupted that I think a lot of these initiatives have been and thoughts have probably been in the works for quite some time. But COVID has undoubtedly catalyzed them by, you know, factors of many. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's move on a bit. Although we, we could easily spend the whole podcast here simply talking about the outlook for esports, but um, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's let's uh, pick up the pace a bit. When we look at the impact of uh, you know the pandemic, certainly through the first wave and you know and potentially coming into this second wave now, in many ways, sports and games are like they're opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they, in terms of the total impact? You know, live sports first shut down entirely, and it's since sort of pieced itself back together without crowds in the main, Um, whereas games have just sort of enjoyed unprecedented success, you know, especially during lockdown with more people spending time gaming than ever before, you know, suddenly no longer having to spend time on the commute, not having anything to do at the weekend, you know, just many, many more opportunities for playing games. Um, And that's, you know, both core gamers wanted to get more hours in, as well as bored passive uh, casual gamers spending a bit more time playing too. So looking towards this next second wave, really, of COVID, that was going to come at pretty much the same time as the global recession really starts to kick in. Um, 
how will these two sectors fare? What's going to be the difference between them? So, so Carol, first of all, what are your thoughts about where this second wave, what you know, and the recession together, what what is it going to look like for games? Is it just going to look like lockdown number one all over again, or is it going to be something different? Yeah, so as you as you pointed out, I mean, games have been one of those uh, areas that have, you know, gone through COVID and through the first disruption of the first set of lockdowns pretty well. Uh, obviously, with a lot of uh, people reallocating, you know, spend that they that, that they saved on their typical out of home spending uh, on entertainment, etc. But I think what it really, really comes down to is just how much uh, the government's subsidizing uh, disposable income and uh, easing and imposing lockdowns and restrictions. How is that? How how much longer is that essentially going to last? Because at the moment, yes, games have benefited, but they are also stuck in this kind of artificially created limbo, you could say. Because we've got, you know, we we're staying at home. We're we are not spending on out of home entertainment. That part of the wallet share is available to us. We're also playing games, you know, uh, spending more time. Really gaming at the moment is one of the only places where you can kind of shut yourself off to and you don't really have to deal with the daily impact of the pandemics. Like even if you now watch a football match, you still have a constant reminder, reminder that something's going on in the world because the audience isn't there, etc. Gaming is quite, uh, quite, uh, quite an undisturbing and, pe- uh, and so almost like a relaxing experience to, the, to this point. But the second that all the government support stops and the second people are going to stop receiving, you know, sort of holiday rents and all of this kind of support, at that point, the, the, the income and the disposable income effects of the recession are, are really going to kick in. And I think that the games industry will still feel the effects in revenue terms as well as this happens. Uh, so all good while we are in lockdown for games and while the pandemic is happening. But I think there is this, this big thing that everyone needs to keep on their mind that as soon as it eases up, the, the, the effects are going to catch up with games as well. So what we have there then is a combination of escapism from the, the tumult of the world around us but this sort of uncertainty of sort of living in a temporary moment while the economics are essentially put on hold in the same way as our lives are put on hold. Alistair, in, in, in sports, we're looking at so many major sporting activities now, just really beginning to get themselves moving again. Um, there's loads of wild variations in results and performances without crowds, etc., which, you know, depending on your point of view, either makes it more or less interesting and more or less viable as a proposition but what do you think a a potential second wave would do to sports are they already operating in such a way where the only risk is really players not being able to play because of being infected or is or could it impact in some other way um yeah exactly to to your point um on sort of the i guess the fixtures playing out to form in the norm is is definitely changed you're seeing uh, the underdogs uh, beating comfortably sort of the the heavy favorites sort of the removal of the 12th man effect uh, is huge in in football and um and soccer so across the pond especially sort of removing that home field advantage the second i think sporting rights holders are going to be seriously concerned about the possibility of having to pause sports again um i think they'll be better prepared in terms of uh, building out some sort of digital engagement through through esports competitions, I think that would be, and I, I believe, yeah, the pandemic definitely helped gaming and esports in that regard. But the the spectacle and the viewing experience has definitely been been affected, and and, and the pilots of trying to get fans back into stadiums 
hasn't gone well and hasn't happened here in the UK. I mean, they're, they're allowing fans in slowly but surely back into the US. But I mean, the NBA is a great example, fielding um, all of their remaining fixtures of their season and then the playoffs at Disneyland in the bubble city, uh, so to speak. The, the, the four-time NBA champion now, LeBron James, admitted struggling to find a rhythm in an empty gym. He said, you can literally hear a feather hit the ground. Players are having to adapt to the change in, in environment. They haven't got the, the fans keeping them uh, keeping them honest, keeping them uh, focused and honed in. And we're seeing all these goals occurring in the Premier League. We're seeing all the touchdowns in the American football. The norm has changed. Um, and yeah, I would be very concerned about a, a second pandemic or a second wave hitting live sports again. So to me, it would seem like there's never been a better time to be a sports psychologist. All of those superstar sports players who can't motivate themselves with an empty crowd, that feels like a uh, the differentiation between being a successful team and a, uh, and a struggling team may be the army of sports psychologists you have to, uh, to, to get your, your team going. One of the things that you spoke about, which sort of got me thinking a bit as well, having you know, competitions sometimes played in different places and getting used to the crowd, etc., not being there. Do you think there's any scope, if, you know, particularly if we might be in a position of there might be another season or two where we have uh, few or no crowds? Do you think there's any scope in any sports to really start sort of experimenting with the format itself and to start thinking about it, at least for this interim period, as being more like a televised format rather than a um, live crowd format, which doesn't have the crowd? Uh, that's exactly what we're starting to see. Um, interestingly, um, field hockey and ice hockey are really um, trying to move away from the traditional um, camera angles that you just uh, that you would now just see an empty stadium and sort of the increased advertising hoarding. You're seeing more cameras in different angles to essentially create, as you said, a format for TV and for on-screen viewing, sort of creating historic moments with a communal feel. Uh, something that sports has lived off for decades is going to be harder and harder to achieve now that fans. Um, due to government restrictions, aren't allowed into stadiums and, the con- and, con- and continued restrictions on group gatherings, digital innovation is going to have to happen to create these moments. Um, interestingly, Verizon and Yahoo did a Watch Together campaign for watching NFL games, allowing groups of fans to stream a game together in a community environment. I think sports, uh, and Carol will agree, esports needs this community to keep it relevant and to keep the engagement high. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there are, there are essentially two things here. One, there, and there is, I think, an opportunity in both. One is actually the, the viewing experience for each individual. And that's to do, you know, with all the camera angles and, you know, potentially, I don't know, one day putting cameras on the actual players. And I think there is a lot sports can learn with regards to this from games, like from the, uh, you know, the spectator modes are essentially a very common thing in, in, in many games. Once you are out of your game or you got killed or what have you, you essentially enter this kind of almost like a flying mode and you can, you, you can, you know, switch between different views, etc. And I think the viewing experience in sports could potentially become a lot more individual centric when it comes to the, to the technique, technical delivery. But then the second more pertinent issue is to do with making sure that sports can still retain a way to allow audiences to continue to feed off of each other's emotions. And that's kind of the, I think, I think what, what, what Alistair has been talking about, that's a really, really big task. But I do think that it's solvable partially 
with uh, with with technology. Uh, I, to Alistair's point about uh, you know sort of group watching uh, and sort of parties online where where people can share that experience. And potentially, we're going to arrive to a point where that experience of the fans will be fed back directly to the to the athletes. Going back to our first question, if there is nobody in the stadium, but that sports uh, or the the athlete still needs that motivation, wouldn't they just feed it somehow through you know a headpiece <laughs> that experience one day? Yeah. So we, we've spoke about the there about the gamification of sports as a way to try to innovate throughout this period. Flipping it over and looking at the sportification of games, esports was uh, really getting into its stride before the pandemic. And, you know, now I suppose the esports tournaments are facing exactly the same crowd challenges as traditional sports, but they have a really big disadvantage, don't they? In that all of these big established sports, they've got generations of tradition and of legacy and heritage behind them. So they can have a pretty realistic hope and expectation that at some stage in the future, they will be able to have the majority, if not all of the crowds returning. Esports is a bit different because it is so new. Um, you know, if we end up being maybe two or three years at the outside without, you know, full crowds being allowed back into events, is esports going to be able to just pick up where it left off, or is it going to maybe this set it back some time and it's you know have to start sort of thinking about rebuilding from a different position once the pandemic's over? What do you think, Carol? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, so the physical ticket sales leakage will definitely hurt, and you know, but on the other hand, esports are very doable in the virtual environment. And they, you know, and actually the circumstances, I would say, might provide a healthy push for esports to actually further pursue that broadcasting and media rights opportunity. Because up until COVID, you know, the, the, the sort of revenue mix was very much, uh, you know, sort of ticket sales and sponsorships. And, you know, the media rights opportunity was something that's kind of been growing out and everyone's been interested in. But uh, a lot of the revenue has still been coming from the traditional revenue channels. Now that you haven't got them, I think there might be, you know, it, it, even though it, it might have sort of taken the the ground from under the under their legs a little bit, I think I think it will actually provide a healthy push to pursue those broadcasting and media rights opportunities even more. And as long as there is brand interests, I think esports should be okay. Which of course is also very dependent on the macroeconomic factors. Like if if we are gonna see a large, you know, decline in brand in brand spending, etc., that could obviously be an issue. But we are seeing various responses to the pandemic of the of the traditional, uh, you know, sort of esports companies. So we've seen just a few few days back or a few weeks back a consolidation of two major event organizers. So we saw the merger of ESL and DreamHack, and uh, and so 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 companies are reacting to this. I think I think they will be also okay. And in the in uh, to the point of you know, for example, football having tradition, lots of traditional sort of in real life. Fans used to going to that uh, to the events, etc. Yes, esports had a lot of people attending their live events, but at the same time, the core audience of esports is very comfortable with, uh, you know, viewing those events, logging in, engaging online. They're quite a tech savvy segment, so I think they will be able to uh, to cope with that uh, change going forward. 
but there is a lot of uh, th- there are a lot of opportunities that are stemming from this as well. So we've got you know sort of the games publishers benefit uh, from from esports tremendously at the moment. Esports teams, depending on their funding, but you know sort of content partnerships and br- brand partnerships is going to be what really keeps them alive. So actually, while some of them might be struggling for funding. It is actually potentially the right opportunity for companies with significant talent infrastructure, such as music labels or talent agencies, to start signing uh, more of this talent and actually creating more of these partnerships with teams to support them through these times, but then actually build something valuable together for the recovery. Yeah, it's an interesting point you raised, Carol. This is it's almost like the, um, the, the evolution of esports and sports are mirror opposites. Whereas sports started off the real world and became televised, esports started off televised and uh, you know is starting to sort of edge its way back into the real world. So in many ways, what happened with lockdown was essentially pushing esports back to its roots, right? You know, back to sort of online video, etc., and you know, online community. One of the things we touched upon related to esports near the start was this idea around um, you know, there have been lots of really interesting innovations early on. Um, between sports leagues and esports, such as NASCAR tournaments, etc. Now, this is certainly lessened since sports have uh, recommenced. I'm just wondering, is this a missed opportunity, just leveraging esports as a stopgap? Because when you think about lots of pros and cons of creating title links, because there's no doubt they compete against each other, right? So they're certainly frenemies, you know, as categories. But whereas the sports professionals might now be back to normal hours, training fairly normally, um, and you know, give, having a fairly full program of fixtures, the audiences aren't, the fans aren't. You know, they're still not in the venues. Many of them are still stuck at home most of the time. And uh, so I'm just wondering, esports and sports was a very natural tie-up when the world was turned upside down. Now the sports franchises and players themselves have returned to some degree of normality, whereas the audience haven't. So does this mean that there are, you know, there could, we should be looking at actually tighter integration between esports and gaming you know right up until the stage where we start getting crowds back into the uh, into the stadium so alistair cowell which one of you wants to go for that i mean I'll, i i don't mind starting this one um i think the the problem is one thing we haven't really touched on is the schedule impact that covid had um so there was a three-month pause of all of live sports across europe and and, and the globe to be honest and they've all come back and because they haven't got fans in stadium they're losing a significant amount of match day revenue so they have to try and get back to some sense of normality. And that is by bringing their sports back and rushing them. So obviously the NBA had a bubble city every game, almost every day. Uh, the Premier League finished in record time and then came back only a, f- a few weeks later. The, the Premiership Rugby finished a month ago and is, is due to kick off again in two weeks. The schedule impact, and obviously we've seen this, we've seen the Olympics, for instance, next year and the, the impact that's going to have on other events such as the Ryder Cup and the, um, I think it's the Women's Football World Cup. Um, the sort of the competing for attention is going to be um, augmented massively. Uh, we've also got the issue, um, while sports were paused, it gave a great opportunity for esports to be, as you mentioned, the NASCAR, to be presented and broadcast on traditional mainstream uh, cable and TV. Um, but now you've got um, the first time ever in history, it was uh, the, the opening game of the NFL season this year, you had the NFL, NBA, MLB, MLS, and the women's NBA all played a game on the same day. The first time it's ever happened. So for esports to cut through that and get a moment in the spotlight, it becomes even harder. But I do agree that sort of esports collaboration helped fill the void. And 
you 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 can't deny the the overlap and you can't deny the need for rights holders to create and carry on that um relationship between the two parties yeah i would agree with that but i i also do think that the challenge for sports going forward is to think about the tie-ups with gaming more broadly because yeah i would say you know esports was a essentially an easy transition to make quickly to keep audiences entertained but really it's a, it's it's uh, go- going back to both gaming and sports largely being about entertainment and esports really only being the competitive part of gaming right so we've got people who love to play football uh, and then we've got people who dedicate their whole careers to pursue excellence in football and in to to the same tune i think sports uh, organizations when when they when they think about what's next in terms of gaming should not necessarily feel that they have to be married to the concepts of esports because the wider opportunity of gaming i think can open up uh opportunities for 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 many different types of creative partnerships that actually are going to help the brands potentially often more than just sort of replicating a match because you know you can't go on the football pitch you are going to send them to play fifa it is that i would say it's that it's the very early days of we are of what we are going to see over the next few years uh, between sports and gaming. Okay, well, um, great stuff, guys. We're, uh, we're we're coming up to the end of this episode now, so I'm actually going to ask you each a different closing question. Um, so, first of all, to you, Alistair, what lessons do you think sports can take from the pandemic and uh, what experiences do you think it can take to build new future strategies, formats, products, even tournaments around? Um, great closing question. Um Rights holders, essentially, they need to diversify the broadcast strategy. We, we didn't mention in, in detail the, the demographic cliff that pay TV is facing with its subscriber base. And without digital exposure, which is something that eSport tie-ups can create, uh, they'll fail to future-proof their audience, really. Um, adapting the viewing spectacle to create an entirely new viewing proposition that will penetrate with all age demographics. Um, as we mentioned, that sort of screen viewing experience and giving fans new and, and exciting uh, match day experiences, um, especially the longer fans are prohibited from entering stadiums, is is, is crucial. Um, leveraging esports competitions uh, to not only broaden the reach and, and untap new audiences, but maintain engagement across social media and digital platforms, especially during off seasons around the sort of linear schedules that sporting has, and that will maintain engagement within their ecosystems. Um, and I mentioned earlier, sort of companies while sports was frozen, relying on documentaries. But um, I do believe there's an opportunity there with docuseries and original productions, and they'll become more prevalent in future strategy, all with the aim of growing brand awareness, driving fandom and maintaining engagement. We saw the last dance in the NBA with Michael Jordan uh, on Netflix. We saw the last ride from the WWE about The Undertaker, all during lockdown, sort of playing off nostalgia, but also social brand image, I suppose, um, and other compelling stories. They'll go a long way in creating opportunities for growing engagement uh, which the pandemic highlighted as being fundamental going forward and with the likely possibility of a, of a second second wave. Cool, good stuff. So, Carol, slightly different question for you. Do you think games is going to be better off post-pandemic than it was pre-pandemic? <laughs> uh, yes, in short. Uh, I think everyone will be better post-pandemic ultimately, but the timeline plays a role here. So I think going back to the to the earlier question games are are going to you know feel the effects of the that are that are long overdue when 
the post-pandemic, when the pandemic is over, or I guess we need to uh, delineate between the post-pandemic world and the post-recession world, right? So I would say post-pandemic, as long as people go back out and start engaging in entertainment out of home, that's going to uh, negatively impact on engagement for games. But then ultimately, we will come back to some equilibrium again. The, the, the two things I would say gaming has got going for it, and there are two, two key things that I think will, will play a big role in, in the post-pandemic uh, times. One is that you know, gaming is, uh, games are becoming venues to all other forms of entertainment who are dealing with disruption of life, whether that be music or cinema or sports. They have this kind of unprecedented opportunity to become business critical partners to the rest of the entertainment industries. And it is critical how this is handled on the game side. So while there are plenty of opportunities for, you know, short-term revenue generating partnerships, etc., this time I think should be really taken to explore long-term efforts such as joint ventures and infrastructural partnerships rather than merely transactional partnerships. And the second, the final point is that gamers are relatively used to high entertainment spending. I mean, they are used to, you know, it's, it's one of those entertainment segments that uh, given on where it is in the sort of uh, uh, on its evolution or on the timeline, gamers are used to paying, you know, subscription fees. They are used to paying 60, 70, 80 dollars for a game. Plus they are, uh, you know, used to spending a couple of hundred dollars every, every now and then for a game's dedicated piece of hardware. So there, there's a lot of investment that goes, goes into that entertainment behavior on, on behalf of the consumer. And the value exchange is likely to keep getting better for gamers because we are seeing cloud services and streaming services uh, slowly starting to you know, gain foothold and in, the, in the market. So essentially, as long as games as such is going through this transition from unit economics and expensive entertainment into uh, you know, sort of the world of streaming and all access, a lot of gamers are going to think or perceive this as a money-saving opportunity. So I think that's something that, that, that games has got up its sleeve going forward uh, post-pandemic. Brilliant. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much to both Alistair and Carol. So hopefully what you've got from this podcast is uh, at least a few things to think about, about how the, the, the pandemic and the coming recession are shaping both the present and the future games and sports. And really, probably the growing importance of esports as not just a bridge between the two, um, you know, to the two sectors, but also something which can also act as a as sort of a, as a safety net um, for for sports and a, you know, sort of a, a revenue generator, an audience grower for for games. Be sure to check out the other uh, episodes in this podcast series if you want to explore all the other ways in which the pandemic and the recession are impacting the entertainment industry. So for now, I'll just give Alistair and Carol both a chance to say goodbye. Alistair? Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. And Carol. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day, everyone. Great. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favourite podcast platform.